As featured in Gran Turismo 7, Gran Turismo Sport, Gran Turismo 6, 5, 4, 3, and 2, and a little bit of 1, welcome to Motorsport 101's Japan Special. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 430 of Motorsport 101, and I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. And I give you good news for you fans of the show. This is probably the least you'll ever hear from me on the normal podcast. No! Probably. But don't worry, like there is... I've got I've got it covered, RJ. I've got it covered. Yes, this is our Japanese motorsport preview special. Um, it was a great idea from RJ um, to decide that hey, you know, we'll, we'll we'll dabble in a little bit of but a little bit of Japan uh, to, to get into because their motorsport starts over the next was it a couple of weeks, RJ? That's right. Uh, this weekend, the by the time you're listening, this probably it's starting right now. The Super Formula Championship begins its 51st season. And next weekend, the Super GT Series begins its 30th anniversary season, or 30th season, or 31st, depending on how you count 1993. It's a long story that I don't think we have time to go into on this podcast, but this was a wonderful idea. Um, I'm glad glad you ran with it, Dre, because it also (laughs) gives me an opportunity to introduce, I guess, the podcast. Uh, Someone who was doing what I was doing, as a fanatic of Japanese motorsport, who is eager to tell the stories and the tales that it includes uh, way before I was doing it. He has contributed to racingblog.de. He has also been a commentator for all three of the supers in Japan, Super Formula, Super GT, and the Super Taku Endurance Series. You know him as Gano. He's Jen Sabata. Welcome, Jens, my wonderful friend, and by this point, my working husband from Germany. (laughs) (laughs) that is that is probably the loveliest introduction i've ever received thank you so much that is flattered it's a huge honor to be invited to be part of this thank you so much you two (laughs) no our pleasure and we we, and this was rj's idea and uh, as soon as rj said it i was like we got to get jens on here i'm like that's that's just you know you have to nail that in jens welcome aboard i think you're something like the 37th guest we've had on this show now so like welcome to the wall of fame tell us tell tell the good people out there m101 all about yourself how did you how did you get to a point where you're covering japanese motorsport on the reg oh gosh uh to make a long story short um i've always was fascinated interested by japan ever since i was like a little kid and just browsing through satellite tv and finding like a japanese news channel and went like huh <laughs> that's interesting and as a kid i was also a huge fan of those godzilla movies and mm. uh one thing led to another then suddenly in 1992 i saw a commercial for the german formula one grand prix i was like whoa those cars look sick who's that michael schumacher guy they say he <laughs> might win his home grand prix i need to watch that and i watched it and i fell in love with motorsport and yeah those things kind of led to each other like the interest in japan the interest in motorsport in japan they also have motorsport and it's fantastic they have a huge car culture and uh that's how i found all this uh, fantastic stuff was a i'm a fan of like super gt since 2005 and in 2011 I was a little bit fed up with how there is like basically no coverage about Japanese motorsport outside of Japan in English or whatever language. And I decided to, hey, why don't you try to start doing something? And um, fast forward, now it's 2023. And as RJ said, I, uh, 
Yeah, I, I went to races in Japan. I uh, got to commentate all the three Super Taiku, Super GT, and Super Formula uh, races uh, series. I mean, a couple of times, and um, I'm very honored. And sometimes it still feels like a fever dream, to be honest. But hey, I'm I'm, I'm glad to do this. It's it's my huge passion. Honestly, you've you've earned it, dude. Like I tremendously respect the hell out of you as my colleague and as my friend. This is like fantastic like you you and i mean admittedly i have to take some credit but we established a bar for you know level of coverage that these series get that didn't really exist uh before the two of us and of course motorsport.com's jamie klein also came along so the game's changed you know ultimately like yeah we know we're we know that like this isn't going to be niche outside of its domestic markets but we're having fun doing it and if other people want to come along this journey that's great too yeah i fully agree i mean and i mean it's it's cool being in a niche and with more people discovering this fantastic side of racing because i mean there is so much more than just f1 or uh WEC or nascar or indycar which i would call or, like the, or, the or your favorite thing. series dtm which by the way you had the dream race in 2019 once in a lifetime opportunity oh, wow. Yeah, that was that was really a once in a lifetime opportunity. I'm so glad that I got to go. It was actually my first trip to Japan, believe it or not. I've been a, such a like a huge fan of Japan since like since forever, since I was like a little child and never had the chance to go there. And then I used that opportunity for the dream race and went there. It was a it, it was fantastic. I even got to interview the Super GT boss Masaki Bando with uh, like an exclusive interview he had like nobody else doing an individual interview Look, he's with him. son of a gun yeah I, I i have no idea how that happened um but i have to thank uh the the, the fine folks at the gta that made that possible uh the gta being the governing body of super gt in case people don't know and uh it was it was intimidating at first uh, but I got told that he felt very, very comfortable because sometimes he actually gets nervous when talking to foreign media. But somehow mm. he was comfortable with me, and uh, that was a, that was it was it was a lot of fun, and it was it was a fantastic weekend. And I really hope that in the near future I can go back to a Japanese racetrack to cover the on-track action from location. That only mean that only means that you're a great interviewer, gents, more than anything else. And trust me, like I, I, I was lucky enough to get Martin Rundle a month, a month or so ago for WTF one, and and I know exactly how that feels on the other end when you feel like, oh my god, is this actually going to go well or not? But I was going to say as well, like it's one of those beautiful things about motorsport coverage and sports coverage in general. If it doesn't exist, sometimes you just got to do it yourself, you know, and you know, be the outlet that you want to see um, in, within the world of most, which is such a diverse and beautiful world, but often it's hard to find. So to be able to bring a small portion of that here, I think it's a fantastic idea. So um, I, my, I openly admit my Japanese motorsport knowledge doesn't extend much more than the, the Super GT cars I was driving on Gran Turismo 3 as a kid. Um, and <laughs> it's been a beautiful thing actually replaying that recently on my PlayStation 2 the other day. If anyone's on our Discord server, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to be a student for the next hour or so. And I'm going to sit back and enjoy for the most part because... I, I, as you can probably guess, I'm not the most experienced here, but I've got an open mind and I'm here to learn and I can't think of two better people to learn from. 
than RJ and Jens. But uh, I'll get a quick plug in before we properly get going is where you can find us. Motorsport101.com is where you can find us. As you may have noticed, it's been a busy weekend in the main line of uh, across the pond motorsports. Uh, by the time this goes out, there'll be race reviews on the website for Formula One in Australia, MotoGP in Argentina, because that went up today at the time of recording, and IndyCar in Texas. That was a quality race, by the way. My word. Um, do check that out if you haven't already. Um, so all of that will be up there as well. Um, of course, you can back us there as well on Patreon if you really like us, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101 for early access to all of our episodes um, and potentially support us, club to our Discord server. You can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded, including Jason, who also keeps a track of our stats, and he's, just, he's got confirmation that Jens is the 30th person to be in the Motorsport 101 booth as a either host or guest. So that's that's a, that's a cool stat there for you, um, if I do say so myself. Um, also, Jens, tell the people where they can find you on social media real quick. Oh, they can find me uh, in the Twitterverse <laughs> as long as it exists uh, under at Geno. That's G-E-I-N-O-U. Easy enough. You have no excuse. Give him a Motorsport 101 bump from all of us here. Um, so you can find Jens over at Gino, G-I-N-O-U on Twitter. You can find RJ at RJ O'Connell, and you can find me at Dre underscore WTF1. You can find us all in there. The podcast itself is at Motorsport underscore 101. And, of course, we're on Instagram as well for uh, regular updates on all our new content, Motorsport 101 pod on Instagram. Right. Let's get cracking. Let's preview some Japanese motorsports, and we'll start off with Super Formula. I was about to say as well, we're talking about Super Formula, and we're talking about Godzilla movies, and it's a shame that Cam's not here. He'll be back for Formula One podcast, but this would have been like... Oh, Drake, you would have just you would have just been able to like put your feet up, sit back, and just like chill for ninety minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Super Formula starts this weekend. It's the fiftieth first season of Japanese Top Formula Racing. It is the twenty eighth season of the modern era. There's a modern era, much like the Premier League. Uh, mm. Tells you that uh, top flight English football started in 1992. Sometimes <laughs> Super Formula tends to tell people that this form of racing started in 1996. Mm. The most important thing is where to watch it. Now, it's offered on motorsport.tv as part of their premium package. But, Jens, they've also launched their new direct-to-consumer streaming service with its own app and unique features. That is correct. A very innovative platform called SFGO. Very easy to remember. Uh, this is something they've worked on for the last two years. It they tested it for uh, in the previous season for selected members, and now it's going public, or is public already, rather. And uh, it's 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 a really cool platform because not only do you get all sessions live, so that's free practice, qualifying, and the race, and of course every previous round on demand. You also get live feed from uh, the onboard camera of all drivers. I think they're using 5G technology to transmit the onboard signal. But not just that, you also get live telemetry, uh, live team radio. So if you understand Japanese, that's it's very cool. And um, in the future, they have so much more planned. And it's, it's a really cool platform. You can use it on your browser on your PC, Mac, or whatever you're using, uh, or on your iOS or Android device. And the cool thing is you can test it out for free. So if you register until April 6th, 
this week, uh, you get to watch the opening round this weekend, which is a doubleheader. So you have a race on Saturday and Sunday uh, live. And uh, then you can decide afterwards if you want to subscribe monthly or annually. Uh, they had a YouTube stream last season. Um, the costs are a bit higher because you get offered a bit more, but I think it's uh, it's a really cool platform. And um, I, I think it's very close to the fans. Um, they, they plan lots of cool features in the future. I highly recommend checking it out. I like it. And like, if you're, if you don't want like all the extra stuff, Motorsport TV will still have the race. Um, I believe they're going to start airing qualifying as well because Super Formula's English language broadcast will now be a joint promotion with Motorsport TV. So take that for what you will, but it does mean that you are getting more across both platforms. Um, I like it. And it's good for Super Formula that they're doing this because much like uh, NASCAR and IndyCar in North America have a popularity gap, Super GT and Super Formula have a popularity gap in their home market. And let's just say Super Formula is coming out on the IndyCar side of things where they're trying. They are trying to get fans invest in their sport domestically and abroad. It's a good start. And especially the international side of things, because um, they realize that, especially with many international drivers also participating in the series, I mean, one of their biggest international stars who then went on to Formula One was Pierre Gasly, and he was fighting for the championship even. Mm. And every so often, and we'll be talking about this later, uh, you have international stars competing in this series and i think they realize that and they realize that they have to do more for the international fans as well and not just focus on the japanese market and and i mean the japanese market is tough because uh, formula one fans like i say the casual formula one fan doesn't necessarily watch other forms of motorsport as well so uh them competing with with super gt is not always easy but um I, I think they're on a good way uh, to to get to find the popularity that the serious ones had because Super Formula, even in its old days, Formula Nippon days, or like Formula Three Thousand and Formula Two, and what all their names yeah, iterations back into like the that. peak, like yeah. bubble economy years where Formula racing was huge. It was it was huge in Japan. It was it was huge. I mean, when they did the uh, the Japanese Grand Prix at Suzuka, they had to use a lottery system um, because the tickets sold out so quickly. So they had to wow. use a lottery system. You had to get lucky to even get tickets, which is, by the way, something they still do for like concerts and stuff. <laughs> so it's it's not like a very foreign concept for them to do that. But uh, it it was a bit of a slump. But in, in general, like motorsport and especially Formula racing in Japan, including Formula One, is, is getting like a, like a renaissance, kind of. It's like Suzuka was sold out last year, for example. Which is always good to see. Um, so what's new this year? There's a few new drivers, a uh, few new teams that look a little different compared to what they were last year. But the big thing is we have a new car, the Dallara SF23. It's kind of an evolution of the SF-14 and the SF-19 that preceded it. If you played any recent Gran Turismos, you will know that the SF-19 is a good car, and the SF-23 is coming to GT7 here soon. So what's different about it? Well, it's built with more sustainable composite materials, uh, B-Comp to be specific, and it also has a revised aerodynamic pro profile that promises better quality racing. And I, I must say, it also looks really nice. It's 
similar to a Formula 2 car. I believe they use kind of like the same kind of tub, like the same crash structure between F2 and Super Formula, but these are lighter cars, they're faster cars, they have better quality control from their engine manufacturers. Honda. I was just about to say, is there any Mechachrome involved? <laughs> oh, no, no. This is, this is Honda and Toyota's baby and Nissan. They've never been involved in this, and that's a shame. But you still get two of the big three. Uh, instead of DRS, you have the overtake system, which works just like push to pass an IndyCar. You can use it offensively to gain position or defensively to defend it. Every driver gets 200 seconds per race. There's a cool time of just over 100 seconds, depending on track. Now, they used to have the roll hoop flash whenever it was being used, but sadly, they decided it's not going to flash anymore when that's being used. And that's a real shame because Bummer. it's so cool. Mm. There's actually a reason behind that, and the reason is because it was used very heavily uh, in in a defensive manner, and they want to discourage during that. So basically, when a driver saw, hey, there is someone coming behind me, and he's flashing the lights, that means he's on OTS, I better activate my OTS as well. And it's kind of like a stalemate situation, and they kind of want to avoid it. The downside of that is, of course, as RJ said, it's not flashing anymore, and which means that as a fan... You don't know when they're using OTS anymore unless you subscribe to SFGO because then you will see it in live telemetry. I'll bet with a, I think it's a 10 to 20 it's second It's a 10 second delay, lag. so it's not yeah. even as it happens. Like, I yeah. thought that was cool yeah. from like the spectator's perspective uh, just to see that flashing. Like, I get why they're doing it, but I, I don't have to like. Yeah, it's it was a highly controversial change. I have I dipped a bit into the the opinion of the Japanese fans, and not many uh, like this change. But hey, let's see. Maybe it it uh, actually helps the racing. Who knows? We have nine races this season across five of the big sits domestic circuits. We'll start, of course, with Fuji Speedway on the eighth and ninth of April. The it's a doubleheader weekend. Qualifying in the morning, race in the afternoon. We then go to Suzuka two weeks later on the 23rd of April. Then we go to Autopolis uh, in the south of Japan in Kyushu on the 21st of May. Sportsland Sugo the week after Le Mans on the 18th of June is the fifth round of the championship. We then go back to Fuji on July 16th. That is a single header round. We go to Mobility Resort Motegi on August 20th. That's the seventh round. And then we come back to Suzuka on the 28th. And 29th of October, this is another doubleheader round. This is the annual running of the JAF Grand Prix. This is the country's oldest and most prestigious domestic formula race. Jackie Stewart's won it for instance, going way, way back in the day, if you want to know uh, how long the lineage of the, this event is. Obviously, no event pays more points than the other, like the Indianapolis 500, for instance. But this is the one that you probably want to win, especially if it turns out to be deciding race in the championship i've, I've got to ask because i've been ultra pedantic with motorsport calendars this year on in 2023 on this show but how come there's like two months between mategi and then suzuka at the end is there a particular reason for that uh that's because um of the other series in japan Ah, uh, that's also, say no and more. also yeah and and also um the the world championships like formula one 
and MotoGP, they usually come to Japan around that time. And mm. of course, you want to avoid any clashes. So they, since since a couple of years now, they kind of do the the final round around the Halloween weekend. So it gets like spooky, scary. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, because <laughs> Formula One, Formula One's in October, and MotoGP Mategi tends to be around October sort of time during the flyaways. Well, that that actually makes sense now. I think about it. No, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, and we'll have plenty of drivers double dipping between. Super GT and Super Formula, and two that are double dipping between World Endurance Championship and Super Formula, and mm. everybody clears out of the way for World Championship rounds. Of course, and and it, it it actually gets super rough the schedule sometimes, especially now when the season starts from like April to May. You pretty much have a race every weekend between the three main series in Japan, um, and. It, you have not just the drivers who are double dipping or like triple dipping even between those championships. You have engineers, mechanics, teams, all involved in them. And they try, I mean, you have personnel in Japan like Masaki Bando who want to help out to make it less stressful for everyone involved. But it's it's tough. It's not always easy. So having like this break between August and October is actually not a bad thing, I think. If you're new to Super Formula, the races are about 180 kilometers long in in minutes. That's an hour and 10 minutes long for each race. Most of them get finished in less than that. So it's it's a good quick watch, but still fulfilling about the length of a four, a little bit longer than a Formula 2 feature race. Qualifying is an IndyCar knockout style format with 22 cars. They split it into two groups of 11, the fastest seven advance out of Q1 and depending on how many races there are on a weekend, either the fastest 14 out of those groups or the fastest eight go on a fight for pole position. Championship points are paid to the top 10 finishers, just like an F1, but the point system's a little different. It's 20 points for a win instead of 25, 15 for second, 11 for third, eight, six, five, four, three, two, and one. And in this series, they also get bonus points to the top three qualifiers. Hmm. Nothing for fastest lap points or or like exciting points, which they try for a year. They actually gave out points for like not only fastest lap, but how many overtakes you did in a season. They tried oh wow! And they never did it again. Yeah, probably for the best on that one. <laughs> I'm not, not not sure about number of overtakes, although being a Sebastian Vettel fan who is a former overtake champion uh, of of an F1 season, mm, maybe the price should just just been Jetty Babies instead. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. O- I'll take it over. Just like forced consent of the sprint format in some reasons. <laughs> you know, in every round, like in some series. <clears throat> Jens, uh, I think uh, I look up and down this grid of twenty-two drivers. I see top quality up and down, and some some drivers who, all right, maybe haven't proven themselves, but you know, are seeking an opportunity. But I don't think there's. Any two more dri- talked about drivers going into the season than the ones who drive for Team Mugen, because we're going to have the two most compelling stories all racing in the same garage on opposite sides. Yeah, we have Tomoki Nojiri, the reigning 
two-time champion. He has won the championship the last two seasons, and he could go for number three this year. And uh, since this new modern Super Formula era started in 1996, no driver has ever done this before. So that would be quite the achievement. And on his side, in the number 15 car, that's New Zealand's Liam Lawson, who's coming to Japan to prepare for... In a possible Formula One drive, and of course, he's coming with a Red Bull livery, which also leads to Tomoki Nojiri, even though he's not a Red Bull athlete, also driving in the Red Bull colors for the very first time. So both cars look very identical, with like slight details to dif differentiate between the two. Uh, but you pretty much have the fastest and best driver in the field right now. Like seriously, uh, Nojiri is just absolutely dominating the series i think last year he almost yeah yeah um, Trey, Trey, look mm. at the look at these numbers i posted in the set list oh, look, yeah. look at these wikipedia's pages good lord a, um the last two seasons he's finished every race and never finished worse than since it's like jorge lorenzo in 2010 in moto gp when he went an entire season he didn't finish a race lower than fourth it's absolutely bonkers that's what he did in 2022 that's that's outrageous consistency um damn um very impressive yeah and, and i mean consistency plays a huge role in this series and he is mr consistent and not just in the race where he always got like a high points finish as Especially in qualifying, and a majority of his points actually last season came from his qualifying results because he went on to get four consecutive pole positions in a row, and per pole position you get three bonus points, and uh, that's a lot, and that helped him out um, tremendously throughout the season, and he would he would have even like tied it up with Tsugio Matsuda, I think, for five consecutive pole positions uh, in a season. The only thing that stopped him was the rain at Fuji that summer. Uh, but but still, it's just absolutely tremendous what he's doing um, in the car. He's Mr. Consistent. He rarely does mistakes. And he's such a humble guy because uh, when he talks about himself, he's not full of himself. He says, like, I'm actually a weak person. I need my friends, my family around me to, to help me when it's like things are not going well and how they pick me up. And I'm so thankful to all of their support. I wouldn't be here without them. It's, he's such a great and humble guy. And it's, uh, it's fantastic to have him in the series. And he's, it's, it's not just his racecraft on track, but it's also his skill to analyze stuff. So let's say it's not going well in free practice. And people are like, oh, he looks vulnerable. Maybe this won't be a good weekend for him. <laughs> Guess what? He works on the car with his engineers and they managed in the short time they have to to tweak the setup and suddenly he's there in qualifying performing like he's like in another league it's 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 just poetry on track with him he's an exceptional driver he's one of the many that's going to be dibble dipping in super gt so we may talk about him but look Yes, he's 33 years old, turns 34 in September. He's a bit of a late bloomer, and he has no realistic ambitions of ever coming to F1. But you know, as we talked about, he can win three in a row. Nobody's done that in the modern era, and only one driver in any era has ever done that. That was Satoru Nakajima from 84 to 86. And you could talk about how his Formula One career went in the broader scope of things, but he was the most dominant driver of that era and the first full-timer from 
F1 driver from his country for a reason. Oh, and by the way, did I mention that Moken Ojiri was also the fastest driver in the two-day preseason test? Of course he was. <laughs> yeah, but he, he doesn't want to hear anything about the favorite role, but we will talk about this uh, later, I think, because we need to talk about that car uh, and why it is tricky uh, for all the drivers. But uh, yeah, he was, he was the fastest, and he pretty much said, I just had perfect conditions. <laughs> but he also showed a rare mistake and crashed. So he... Maybe he looked vulnerable. I don't know. Hard to tell. But yes, RJ said, uh, unfortunately, he uh, a bit of a late bloomer. He came to the series in 2014, won in his rookie year um, a race at Sportsland Sugo, uh, and then kind of fell off a little bit and then suddenly like emerged again uh, with a, a newfound strength, basically, I would say in 2019, but also 2020, uh, before he went on to dominate the series in That's 2021. Right. I think his move to Mugen really helped out a lot. It was a one-for-one -one swap. He goes to Mugen. Naoki Yamamoto goes from Mugen to Dandelion Racing, takes a little seat. And so far, it's and it turned out to work out for everybody because they all won championships out of the arrangement. And this oh, yeah. is something that he's used to before. He's the teammate of the hot Formula One prospect... But now it's different because back in 2016, when he was teammate to Stoppel Van Dorn, he wasn't the two-time champion that we know now. Like, he was only in his third year in the series, and the one win they picked up, you could probably have just written off as a fluke. And there were flashes of brilliance, but nothing like we see now. Yeah, and, and when he was teammate of Stoffel Van Dorn, he even said that... Uh, he pretty much saw himself in the inferior role. He didn't want to lose to this hotshot coming from Europe with uh, one leg already in Formula 1. And uh, he was giving himself a hard time. But I think now the roles are reversed because he's kind of like the master now. And you have this young gun coming from New Zealand, part of the Red Bull uh, junior team, Liam Lawson, who was in Formula 2 and wants to step into Formula 1 and is now getting some experience and mileage in in super formula oh yeah i think we need to talk about liam lawson because it's it's been a while it's been a hot minute um i'd say pre for, for the first time post-covid we have a top tier formula one prospect coming to take a step through super formula to try and get to formula one in liam lawson and he's got the credentials we all know this he's a toyota racing series champion one in Formula 3 and Formula 2. He was one contentious first lap incident away from probably winning the DTM title on a lark in 2021. Uh, and he's quick. My God, and he's quick. And he's only 20 years old. And I think I want to talk about just like the realistic expectations because while this is a series that's covered by junior formula publications and while this is a pathway to Formula 1, this is not a junior formula series. This is not designed to be a feeder series. Uh, this is more that like IndyCar than Formula 2. This is a true professionals championship where most of the drivers are paid by major automakers to race instead of drivers paying their way in to race. Now, there are exceptions to that, of course, but this is a different environment than Formula 2. And if you go back and look at Pierre Gasly and Stoffel Van Dorn and what they did in 2016, 2017, Van Dorn won a couple races, 
Uh, Pierre Gasly won a couple of races, and if not for Super Typhoon Lan, would have probably won the championship that season in 2017. So it is possible that a driver of Lawson's caliber can do it, but if you throw out the first season back in 1973, there's only been one rookie that's ever gone on to win the series title in their first year, and that was Ralph Schumacher back in 1996. He did it in his first season, and then he went to Jordan. And before anybody asked, Michael only made one start before he got the call up to F1. Yes, at Sugo, when it was called the F, uh, Formula F3000. Formula F3000, that's redundant. F3000. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say, like, I, it's hard to get a read on this because I'm glad you filled this in with that, RJ, because it's like, I think a lot of people in Europe turn their noses up at Super Formula as as a feeder series. And that and that's I know that's a very wrong impression because it's I think it's perceived as like a series that people are going into to get super license points to top themselves up you know, before they can fully get ready for an F1 run. I know that's how it's been treated in the past by some drivers, but this is not a feeder series, obviously, right? No. Like Liam even said that like one of the big things that he's looking forward to is working in a more professional environment where you have more engineers and more people to work with than you do in F2. Like compared to compared to as compared to Super Formula, F2 teams are like a skeleton crew. Mm. compared to what you have and that's what van dorn and uh and ghastly liked about it as well but it also means the competition is going to be a lot tougher like you look at some of these guys and you think oh these are dudes who couldn't hack in a formula two let alone formula one but no like they they know this they know this inside and out like it's not going to be easy for him to go in and win the championship it is very hard that's not a dig at lawson that's just a big thing is like this is hard. Yeah, and, and he and, and as you said, he said so. He's very humble. He says, uh, "I hope to win races, but it's going to be tough because not only do I have to adapt to the car, adapt to the environment, I also have to adapt to the tracks." And um, he only tested at Suzuka. He has Fuji, Motegi, Sugo. My God, Sugo, an old school track, super difficult. And Autopolis, another beautiful track. Uh, he has to learn them all. And he doesn't have much seat time because they only get one free practice before qualifying. If it's not a doubleheader weekend, then there is another practice session before the race. But that's not much. But he's working with some of the best engineers in Japan. And as RJ said, uh, these aren't skeleton crews. You have you have some of the best engineers who are also working in Super GT, working on those cars. And I think this is what just it makes this series. It's a highly professional series, highly competitive series. I like now, I think for this uh, special, we're not going to go into a holistic team-by-team, driver-by-driver preview. But there, are, I will say there are 22 really outstanding drivers representing 12 teams. Yes, there are a couple single-car teams representing Honda and Toyota. Uh, it's, it's a good, fairly even split of 11 Honda drivers, 11 Toyota drivers. Uh, but, Jens, out of the field... What else stands out to you? Because the stories cannot just be the two Mugen drivers, right? No, but as you said, 22 drivers, I should mention that's the largest field since 2007. So that also shows that Super Formula is developing upwards again, which is great. And 
as you said, 11 Honda drivers, 11 Toyota drivers, perfectly balanced, as all things should be, to clean <laughs> it up a little bit, I guess. But um, yeah, it's not just the two Mugen drivers. Um, you have, for example, Kazuto Kotaka, who's the reigning Super Formula Lights champion, who's joining the series full-time now after dipping into it, uh, replacing Sasha Fenestras, who couldn't... Um, race in a series due to the uh, entry restrictions uh, restrictions Japan still had because of the pandemic. Uh, now he's full-time there. Uh, you have the runner-up, Kakunoshin Ota. Uh, he is at Team Dandelion Racing at the side of Tadasuke Makino, also a former Formula 2 driver. Of course, you have... Formula, two, Formula, Formula 2 ra feature race winner. Yes, you are completely right. Uh, you have Kamui Kobayashi at KCMG, the only non-Japanese team or non-Japanese origin team, we should say. Uh, I mean, Coach Kamui, who doesn't love him? Uh, he's of racing course. for KCMG. Still, I actually chasing. know the one for. I actually know the one person who does not like Kamui Kobayashi, and it was because ten years ago when he was at AF Corsa Ferrari, uh, this colleague of mine. Well, I will. I will protect their identity so that remain <laughs> anonymous. Uh, wanted to do a grid interview with them, and Kamui told them to fuck off. <laughs> to, to be honest you are asking for it when you'd want to, when you're doing a grit interview before the race the drivers have better things to do <laughs> also like kamui was in a weird place at that time because it was like he was thrown out of sauber at that point like it was clear that he wanted to come back to formula one but he was also having fun with sports cars and then of course the year after what whatever the hell that caterham stint was and by the way, can I mention that of all the things Kamui Kobayashi has done, multiple World Endurance Championships, multiple Daytona 24-hour events, finally won Le Mans a couple years ago, F1 podium, winner in Super GT. You know he's never won a Super Formula? Yeah, it's nuts. He, he got close a couple of times, but things wild. went south, like pit stop errors uh, from his crew and whatnot, bad luck on the track. Uh, it just, I, I, maybe this year they changed up their internal structure a little bit, and maybe this year will be the year. I mean, he says if this doesn't work, then it might never actually work. So, so he's hopeful that it works this year. And just, just to follow this little in, I actually got to talk to him quickly at the Dream Race in 20. 19 very cool guy uh, i'm pretty sure i was like the 1000th person who asked him why are you driving for bmw and he told <laughs> told me the story uh because as a toyota works driver, why are you driving a bmw car here at the dream race um and uh it's just uh it's 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 great he was just sitting there like all the, the japanese journalists around him they were laughing they were having fun and uh they were like do you have a question too do you want to join in i was like that's very kind of you <laughs> thank you uh and it was it was great but um yeah we and Speaking of the World Endurance Championship, we also have the uh, Le Mans winner and the WAC champion, Ryo Hirakawa, driving for Impul, uh, oh a God, championship He's grown up so fast. He's grown yes. up so fast. He debuted as a teenager 10 years ago. That was also the year where Toyota had to, had to pull the plug and be like, uh, you're not driving a Honda-powered IndyCar, even if Dale Coyne wants you to come drive a Sonoma. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he had to. He had to be like, "Hey, if if you want to do this with us, then you cannot do this. I'm sorry. You have to stay with us here at Toyota." But I, I think a big Rio Hirakawa believer pretty much since that moment. Now he's a world champion. Now he's a Le Mans winner. Now can he win a Super Formula title? Because he's come close. Second in 2020, the year he almost won the double, and third last year behind Ojiri and Fenestras. 
Yes, and I think he will be a contender again this year for sure. I mean, Team Impul, legendary team. I mean, Dre, you said you played Gran Turismo. You know the blue Carl Sonic car from JGTC and Super GT. Oh, that, do I. That is Team Impul, and they are also actually oh, yes. in, in Super Formula with a Toyota engine, not with a Nissan engine. <laughs> so they're, they are... You've ruined they are, it! <laughs> they are working. They are, they are uh, having a relationship with both sides, <laughs> so to speak. Oh. Oh, it's, but, oh, oh, it's very potty then, I see. Cool, lovely. Um, <laughs> and um, <laughs> when we talk about other drivers, I mean, of course, we have Giuliano Alesi, who won in 2021 in only his second race in a rain-shortened uh, Autopolis round. It was, uh, sorry for the language, pissing Giuliano. cats and dogs. Yeah. It was it was insane. No. I'm sorry, but Giuliano is like the most discourse driver on the grid, I feel. Because yes. like... He has won in the series. He has won in Japan. He has carried backmarker GT300 teams and Super GT to results unforeseen. But there is the perception about him that he's just here because his mom, his dad is John Alacy. His mom is Kamiko Goto, an even bigger star in Japan than John Alacy is. And he brings with him lots of money. And he and, you know, <laughs> the perception was that those factors were the only reason why he beat out uh, another driver to that seat to stay in the series. I'm like, oh, it like last year was not good for him, but I've seen that he can be better than that. Yes, he can definitely be better than that. And I think he showed that in 2021 when he was filling in for Kazuki Nakajima who couldn't make most of the rounds because of his World Endurance Championship involvement, because there were like lots of clashes with the race dates, unfortunately. So Giuliano uh, was doing Super Formula Lights that year, fighting for the championship uh, and finishing as the runner-up, and also doing Super Formula, which meant double duty on the weekends with two different types of cars. Uh, it was kind of insane. Uh, but he had like a really good season. And then last year... He only finished in the points once at uh, at the second round at Fuji, which also started with a doubleheader there as at on P8, three points at the end of the season. That's the second last position. It's uh, it not good enough. It, it's not good enough, especially not when you drive for Toms, who are a just. I like to call them one of the Death Star teams together with Impul and uh, Mugen. Uh, they are. They are championship contenders. They are one of the big teams. Um, I mean, if you want to go with IndyCar terms, you have like Ganassi, Andretti, Penske. They're one of those. They're um, the guys with the Castrol Supra. Yes, those are the guys. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you translated this into Gran Turismo talk for me. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> and they had champions with, uh, most recently, with Nick Cassidy in 2019, with Andre Lotterer. Uh, Large appendage nendage, baby. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, so they are one of the, of the, of the great teams. And uh, his teammate, Rito Momiata, he finished fourth in the championship so that wasn't good enough and Archie since you mentioned that uh, some people think he's only in the series because he has that star factor 
there is a little truth behind it because um, him and Ukyo Sasahara were kind of in a uh, in, in a shootout for that Tom's cockpit. Um, Sasahara being a Honda driver who was a little bit fed up how he got treated and then left as the first Japanese driver to leave Honda in, I think, gosh, like 17 years? It's been, it's like been a hot minute. There was, yeah. a, there was a big transfer. 15 years. 15 after, years. Yeah, and like at, after testing like everybody seems very positive that sasar is going to get the seat but no it goes to a lacy which then of course makes it very funny that they end up as co-drivers in the same gt500 car uh this same season oh by the way yukio sasahara is going to be testing the uh, the toyota research and development car this year so he is very serious about getting on the grid next year Yes, he pretty much got that role from Toyota. Then, okay, you will be the development driver for our development vehicle because Hiroaki Ishura, uh, two-time champion of the series, um, got appointed as the new team director for uh, Rookie Racing, which is the team that uh, the former Toyota president, uh, Morizo Akio Toyota, uh, founded. Um, And... Yeah, it was pretty much a shootout, and Jun Yamada, the team director of Tom's, said Sasahara probably a bit faster, but Nobuhide Tachi, the owner of Tom's, said that they pretty much went with the soft factor and gave him another shot because he wanted to look at it on the grander scheme, or like or the grander picture, I should say, uh, by saying it would be a bad luck for, um, super f- for Japanese motorsport if... Uh, such a star driver would get kicked out after just two seasons. So there was no open space for Sasahara. And since then, Alexi seems much more relaxed. He had a better outing at testing, and I think he will have a better season this year for sure. Uh, And Sasahara, he might get a full-time cockpit um, at Toyota next year. Who knows? Uh, He's a two-time race winner. He won two races last season, and he still couldn't get a full-time cockpit at, at Honda, unfortunately. It's the strangest thing. Uh, just a few other stories I want to talk about before we wrap up this portion and move on to the other super. Uh, Naoki Yamamoto might be back. He, of course, a three-time series champion, Jensen Button's best buddy. Uh, <laughs> one time, Scuderia Toro Rosso, free practice one driver, had a bit of a slump after he joined Nakajima Racing two years ago, but he wanted Mategi last year to kind of get back on the board, and he was second fastest in the preseason test. Uh, there is also an interesting driver swap within Sw- Honda. Last year's rookie of the year, Ren Swato, is going to be Yamamoto's teammate at Nakajima Racing. Pause for laughter if you know the story of the 2021 Super GT finale. <laughs> and Toshiki Oyu leveraged his entire future in the series to go to TGM Grand Prix. This is the old Team Go Racing. These are the organization that helped Alex Pelot get his foot in the door in IndyCar. This is the organization that won GT500 titles. They've gone through a rebrand because they lost Red Bull sponsorship and there was a worry that they may not race at all. But they made the trade and Oyu is thinking like, these guys have the resources to take down Team Mugen. I'm very curious about that. I'm also curious about the other two foreign rookies in the series because they kind of look like... It kind of looks like a discard pile from the surface, but they do have very fascinating stories. One of them is Raul Hyman, who has been pretty much the definition of a junior formula journeyman. Whenever he races in a high-profile series, it's always with a team that does not have the resources to compete, and it shows in Hyman's results. 
But last year, after being out of racing for two years because of the pandemic, he won the Formula Regional Americas Championship. That got him a sponsorship from Honda Performance Development of Japan and got him a Super Formula Drive with BMATS Racing alongside Dre, your best buddy, Nomahara Matsushita, who, by the way, the Prince had the pass of the year. Go back and watch last year's spring race at Suzuka. Oh, he scored for the field and sealed it with a Raikkonen on the last lap. Or oh, to win it. Beautiful. So it Hyman was is there. Great race. Yes, it was a great race. Hyman is there. So is Shem Bullock Bossi, the Eastwood star. star. Mm. Did a partial schedule in F2 last year, got some big backing from his home country of Turkey, and then that all fell to shambles. So he's back looking for another opportunity in Super Formula. And actually, because of the uh, the Turkey and Syria earthquakes, there was possibility they might not even get to race at all, but he is going to race. Um, he'll be the first driver from his country to do so. Set your expectations low, but it, they seem like they're both excited to get a different opportunity. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about uh, TGM Grand Prix because the organization behind that that's pretty much effectively running the, t the team is Servus Japan. That's a maintenance garage. And they were actually working with Team Mugen until 2021. And then they went separate ways uh, last season. And I mean, Mugen was still on top of everything. And Toshiki Oyu actually said that to beat um, Mugen, um, he has to go with Servus Japan. That's why he apparently, allegedly, we don't know for sure, but the rumor is that he apparently even uh, said to Honda, no, I'm not driving for Dandelion Racing. I want to go with Service Japan. And they said, well, you're on your own then. And so he had to find the funds um, to, to make it. And um, he does. And, and, or, or he did, rather. And he's now uh, pretty much a team leader of TGM Grand Prix. And uh, Oyu is a very interesting character, both Oyu on really and off the is. track. He really I mean, is. He's like, uh, some people have likened him to the Japanese Lando Norris, in a sense. Like, yeah. he's, a, he's a huge, like, car now. He'll, like, he'll turn up at grassroots events with his Honda S2000 to just do track days. That's how much he loves his stuff. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's uh, he's he is wonderful. He's wonderful, and I mean, and he kind of has a little bit of that rock star attitude. Even I mean, la last last year he had like this very distinctive style with his hair and his clothes. At at some point, I was like, I'm not sure if I'm like looking at Toshiki Oyo or Gakt. So if you know your <laughs> Japanese music scene, then uh, Gakt, very very famous Japanese musician. Uh, by the way, on the same day his birthday as I do, although he's a bit older, uh, <laughs> and. Um, um, and, and this year he has like a completely different style again. So this time he could look like like a Japanese boy band member. I don't know, but he's he's <laughs> fast. He is, and he's. Um, I mean, he won the 2020 uh, JF Grand Prix, and his as mentor and as a rookie, and his mentor and buddy Takuma Sato was there, and they took pictures together. It was just uh, it, 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 it was it was poetry basically <laughs> that it happened on that weekend, and ever since um, Oyu pretty much showed how high his ambitions are because he joined Nakajima Racing in the same year and of course he was the second driver to Naoki Yamamoto but Naoki Yamamoto was struggling and then he realized hmm I'm actually faster than him the team should treat me as the number one driver but that didn't really happen so he wanted to actually leave Nakajima Racing and um, is now trying this new thing with this 
technically new team, which may or may it's not, not work really out. a new team. Yeah, I mean, like, te- it's, it's, technically, a it's a new name. It's a rebrand. Yeah, rebrand. Re- rebrand is. is it's like saying different. that Toro Rosso and AlphaTauri are two <laughs> distinctly different Formula One teams because they have a different name. Or like New Coke. <laughs> you have to try it first of course um <laughs> no but yeah as rj said it's it's a rebrand let's let's be real this is still service japan this is still team go um behind all of this just with two new drivers and um i'm, I'm very excited and I, I can tell you how eager and how like how how much all you wants it because he was fighting for pole position um, I think he was at Motegi last season, and he he was dominating qualifying, but he didn't get it at the end. And he just he got out in Q3 after getting P2. He got out, sat on his car for like several minutes, head down, like just deeply thinking about what just happened, and that he, he just couldn't. I, I maybe he couldn't stand it that he didn't get pole position, but um, th- th- that's the type of race car driver he is. He will always give for his one hundred and twenty percent, and he's like a very, very exciting, young and fast prospect. I like him, and can I also say as well? There's two other drivers. I think they're not only going to win their first races in the series, but take a huge step forward. One of them is Tadasuke Makino. Uh, who was super, super consistent last year and did everything but win a race. And so, too, did Rotoma Miata. Uh, again, super consistent, pretty much scored all but three of Tom's points. Uh, they're due their first wins, and I think they're going to come, and when they come, they're going to come by the bushel. Uh, I'm looking forward to Super Formal this year. I don't know who's going to win this championship with the new car, but that's part of the feeling of it. Like, yeah, there's a couple that really stand out, but, you know, it's, it still could be anybody's game. Yeah, definitely. I think we should mention the, the car really quick. You already talked about it, that it's like using carbon-neutral parts um, to reduce the carbon um, dioxide emission, uh, which uh, I think is, is, is great. I think it's about like 75%, they said, uh, with the yeah. decomp material, um, which is, I think, is a great step into the future. They also wanted to use a carbon-neutral fuel, similar to Super GT, but um, because the cost for this new car and new parts this new aerodynamic package they have is just too much for the teams they decided to postpone the introduction of carbon neutral fuel however there's also a new tire by the sole supplier yokohama um which they call a carbon neutral racing tire it has like this 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 green mark around it so you uh, it's know, not made it's... with a waiuli like the firestone indycar tire <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was about and, to comment on that yeah and, and <laughs> that tire is made out of uh 33 recycled and renewable raw materials and uh, the mixture of all those things because um super formula was uh developing this car for over a year yeah, over a year uh they were pretty much testing it every track before or after uh the races there and the idea is to reduce the downforce of the car because they want the cars to um fo- to be able to follow each other much more closer and so they went with the idea to reduce the downforce um there's a small question mark behind all of this how it's going to turn out because yeah. there are drivers like um, Nobuharu Matsuda, 
and Tadasuke Makino, and even the new appointed Toyota development driver, Ukiyo Sasahara, uh, who said, because he was standing in for Kenta Yamashita because he couldn't test at all because of yeah, the accident. Yeah, I forgot to mention, we had a driver who had a big crash at, at Suzuka in January, Kenta Yamashita, really talented guy, GT500 champion, but he got out of his car after hitting head-on in the barriers of 130R, then went to the hospital, and he couldn't get out of bed for a month. Oh, yeah. And, and that, by the way, happened in a GT500 car, not in Super Formula, we should mention. But yeah, he unfortunately had to miss uh, on uh, on Super Formula testing. Same with Kakunoshi Ota, by the way, the rookie, who had a crash at the same corner just uh, two months earlier, also at a Super GT test, unfortunately. And I think both were due to tire failures. Um, the details never got really declared officially, but I think there were tire failures. There were hard hits. Ota was very lucky that he escaped serious injury, but again... I don't care how much runoff you put there or how uh, how you reprofile the corner. 130R is dangerous if the if shit goes wrong. <laughs> it goes wrong, and if you hit those sponge barriers, the car tends to flip, which it did in both cases. <laughs> and yeah, unfortunately, they had to miss out on the only official preseason test, and there are no private tests with these cars. There might be an in-season test in June. Uh, that's the rumor, at least. So let's see if it's, it's, it happens. It might be at Fuji then. Uh, but yeah, they have to go in raw, basically. Free practice on Friday and uh, learn the car. Um, the, the thing is with the reduced downforce is that the car tends to oversteer a bit more. And even Tomoki Nojiri said that he, last season he never had to correct his car mid-corner and he had to do it a couple of times during testing. So he's a bit nervous about the season and says, I'm not the favorite. I know I'm the two-time champion, but I'm not the favorite. I'm actually, I think it was a post on Instagram where he posted like a picture of him where he looked a bit worried and was like, this is my face next weekend at Fuji. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, yeah, Matsuda said uh, the slipstream works great. It works better than with the old car. So the tail is fantastic. So I think, especially at Fuji, we're going to see lots of fantastic duels in the slipstream. Um, the drag is increased, however, and um, and the the lower downforce in the rear might not be as noticeable in fast corners, but in slow corners. Now, Fuji and Suzuka both don't have that many slow corners, so I think we have to wait until maybe Autopolis or Sugo to see how the car handles on these kind of tracks. So it would be too early to make like a first conclusion about the car after this and next weekend for sure. But that's like the big question mark is how... Um, easy will it be for the drivers to fight when they are close together with the dirty air i'm just thinking about the assessment that this car tends to snap over sphere and i know cam plays plays with the sf19 and gt7 a lot and drives with with just the most oversteer heavy setups i'm like thinking buddy what are you doing podcasting you should be out there chasing a formula regional americans title so you go drive these cars real bud <laughs> I mean, I know you're like seven feet inches is tall, but like, <laughs> very true, very true. He's a very hardcore super formula player. So catch him on GT7 online, and uh, he totally won't gloat when he beats you. No. <laughs> <laughs> I also what, you, love, yeah. what do you mean there are other cars in Gran Turismo Seven other than the SF19 and the GT500? No, oh, no, it's a, it's a purely standalone <laughs> super formula game. It's fine. We have the Toyota Alphard van. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, now we have three different cars. 
we we have we have a van. <laughs> that, that thing is a thing of beauty. Didn't didn't people already put the Castro livery on it? They have. Uh, they've also put the Renault Espace F1 livery on it. Oh, beautiful! What's Ooh, funny What's funny is now is that the Gran Turismo two modding scene has gotten to where people are just dropping McLaren MP four four bodies on the uh, on the Renault Espace F one physics. Crazy, <laughs> crazy, crazy times. <laughs> Should we get into Super GT then, fellas? <laughs> yes, I am so excited. There's not much new that's that's new this year, gents. There really isn't a whole lot. Like it's the same GT500 cars, Nissan Z, Toyota GR Supra. Last year for the Honda NSX, though. Yes, the last year because next year it will be replaced by drumroll the Civic Type R. That's so funny. It's just like <laughs> it I, is. These are these are silhouette cars, much like a NASCAR Cup Series car. But it's still funny that like Honda's flagship rear-wheel drive silhouette sports car is based on a front-wheel drive hot hatch. And four doors. For the very first time in GT500, we're getting four doors. <sighs> it, 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 the, the, thing, the car they presented it at the Tokyo Auto Saloon in January this year, I think it looks fantastic. Some people were like, wait, what? A Civic? A Type R replacing the NSX? And I just applaud it because I like that. I like that choice. It's, it's so out of the left field. It's beautiful. I know some people would have liked the Integra, but it's just like the Civic Type R is the fastest car they make now that they stopped making NSXs. It's a shame that car didn't really sell, but, you know, that's a fun car. I, I, I like it. I'm looking forward to that in 2024. But in 2023, there is something that's a little bit different. And we have a new racing fuel. Supplied by a company called ETS Racing Fuels. It's the Renewables R100 Carbon Neutral Fuel. Uh, the general consensus is that horsepower is down a bit. And it smells weird and it hurts everybody's eyes. But it is part <laughs> of the series push to achieve sustainability, achieve carbon neutrality, but without abandoning combustion engines and the senses that they provide. That's like a big thing that Super GT is pushing and Super Formula is pushing. It's like, yes, we want to be more responsible. Absolutely. But also like the sound of combustion engines is also cool and we want to try and keep that as possible. Yeah. And uh, they have this plan. The GTA had like a... they. Uh, introduced a roadmap until 2030 they want to reduce uh the the carbon dioxide em emission by 50 percent with carbon neutral fuel with um new tires with less tires they're using i mean they're reducing the available sets this year for example by one uh they want to make uh the engines last longer the tires last longer uh they they are there and they want to do their part, as you mentioned, but without losing um, kind of a thing that makes motorsport motorsport, I guess. Uh, I mean, Masaki Bando once said, we don't want to, we want, we still want to um, activate all senses that humans have when watching a race car. And um, the thing with, the, with this carbon neutral fuel is um, they didn't get much test time. I mean, the GT500 teams, yes, um, they did like, um, 
in 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 the in the labs they did tests with with the engines and they had a test in november at motegi which was original plan for august at suzuka but due to shipping delays because you know what's going on in the world um they had to delay it until november which meant only a small number of gt300 teams could also participate in that test and then they tested it again now at the official preseason tests at Okayama and Fuji this month, uh, which also led to the situation that, yes, GT500 will race with the new carbon uh, neutral fuel starting next weekend at Okayama. However, the introduction for the GT300 class will be uh, postponed until the third round in June at Suzuka because there has been some issues for certain teams and they just need more time to prepare and adapt to this whole thing. Um, so the statement by the GTA is we want to give them more time because we have so many different manufacturers, car types and engine types in that class that they just need more time to prepare for this new kind of fuel. And um, I think the smell probably very subjective i mean i've i've read people say i i didn't notice anything while well, i said it, it smelled like pee <laughs> and, oh, uh, uh, so i guess your mileage may worry i think the eye burning thing i think they got that into uh, un, or rather under control i think i think they didn't burn it enough um at the first test in november i think that was like the huge issue at least the honda gt project leader um uh, saiki-san he said that that might have been the issue. I think they got that under control at least. But yeah, th this is like a, a learning process. Um, they they are stepping up. They're not just saying, hey, we're doing this in a couple of years. No, they're starting right now as the first major championship in, in all of Asia. And I think um, that's very commendable. Um, and um, as, I, as I mentioned, it's a learning process. And uh, I think things will go smoother the more they're starting to use it. Oh, yeah. Because like... This is the other thing too. If you if you nail like getting this new fuel to combust, if you're one of the big three manufacturers early on out of the gate, you're set. Now, this is a series where every manufacturer will have an engine spec and that they get one free upgrade during the middle of the year. So they really gotta nail that if they don't get it right out of the box. Yes, that is true. Uh, just one engine change. And even, I mean, the engines are even frozen, the development, so they can only change, like, very minor things. So if you have, like, a bad engine, then uh, good riddance. Uh, but uh, we know that even minor things can mean a lot to those teams. And, I mean, as I mentioned, you have the best engineers in Japan uh, working on, on, on those engines, on those cars. Uh, it's it's not a cheap series to compete at. It's it's actually quite expensive. They want to control the costs and they want to keep the costs down. But uh, the whole development process, uh, Honda, Toyota, Nissan, they are putting a lot of effort and money into this. There is like this prestige to win oh, yeah. this series, to be the best of the big three. Oh, and yeah. last year, it was Nissan who managed to do that in the debut year of the new Nissan Z. And with um, with uh, Team Impel, with the with the blue Calsonic car. car, with the, the blue the car, the last year where Calsonic is prominently featured on the car because their parent company Morelli decided we're going to retire the brand. There's going to be a Morelli, formerly Calsonic, sticker on the car. I, I do find it weird that they've also written Morelli in a different typeface to what the Morelli logo is. But at the end of the day, it's still the same shade of blue, and it's still the same team that you know and love. 
Uh, it's just going to get take a little bit different. Take it's going to take a little bit of time to get used to. Is what I'm saying, Dre. Uh, it yeah. certainly sounds like it. <laughs> it's like when they took the Jeff. It's like when Jeff Gordon's car. They took the Dupont decals off and replaced it with that Salta and Chromas Pro. Oh, just it's not the same, is it? <laughs> And I mean, you now have to say the instead of the Car Sonic Impulse Z, it's the Morelli Impulse Z, and uh, this is something you just have to learn. <laughs> I, I, I probably will like, like with like with muscle memory type Car Sonic, even though it's wrong. <laughs> yeah, like trust me, even NFL core, core commentators still have to put a a quarter in the Washington football team jar every. Now oh and then. yes, that is very true. That is very very true. But for but for very different reasons. Um. The calendar at a grant glance, it's been eight rounds for a while. It's still eight rounds. The season starts at Okayama, the former TI Circuit Aida, on April 16th. Then we get to round two of Fuji Speedways on Thursday, May the 4th. This is the Fuji Golden Week race that Super GT has during their national leisure holiday season at this set date. It is arguably the most prestigious individual race on the calendar. Again, the series does not like to promote one race as being more important than any of the others, but if you consider the history of this event, it's arguably the one that I would say if I want to win one, it's probably this one. We go to Suzuka on the 4th of June, the week after the 500 and everything else on the calendar. We have a little bit of a layoff in the summer, and then we come back on the 6th of August, back to Fuji Speedway. And three weeks later, on the 27th of August, we go back to Suzuka Circuit in the late August calendar slot, once associated with the Suzuka 1000 kilometers that was part of this calendar for years and years, and the Suzuka 10 hours, which was its successor until it was put in a permanent limbo because of COVID and the SRO and GTA butting heads, but that's neither here nor there. We then go to Sportsland Sugo on the 17th of September. Autopolis hosts the penultimate round on the 15th of October, and then the championship ends at Mobility Resort Mategi on the 5th of November. There are three 300-kilometer regular races, and there are five 450-kilometer semi-endurance races. These will have two pit stops with refueling. The format was a success when they did it three times last year, so they decided, let's do it five times. Both the Suzuka races, both the Fuji races, and the race at Autopolis will all have this longer distance. I see. Very excited. For Int- interesting because that's 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 basically one and a half times an f1 race at 450 kilometers that's interesting i didn't realize they were doing that now yeah this is basically their push for making the engines and tires last longer so it's an you- interesting thing because like when people talk about like how do we make this more sustainable let's have the cars run less and they're actually like let's have these cars more so that we can encourage these manufacturers to make shit that lasts longer yes that makes because sense. Because, and we should mention this if you have never watched a Super GT race, and this is like an enigma in the world of motorsport these days, we actually have a tire war in the series, and in both classes, and especially mm. in GT500. We have Bridgestone, Michelin, Yokohama, and Dunlop, um, or Suitomo tires, um, fighting for who's the best. And let me tell you this, they are putting everything into this the tires are gold if you don't have the tire work properly then um your chances of winning the race i don't want to say they're like pretty much into the bin but it will be very very tough 
you have an eight and a third chance of winning any given race if you're not on the right tires. And yeah, this is one of the last few major series that has open tire competition. Now, people have feelings about tire wars as they've been implied to other series in the past. Mm. Somehow, and I don't know how they do this, but they, they do things without getting way too far ahead of themselves and causing like a major uh, sporting catastrophe. Gosh, I wonder what you mean with that. <laughs> uh, my, family, my family didn't travel th- uh, hundreds of miles and spend thousands of dollars to watch a glorified sit car Bridgestone tire test at Indy. No. Oh, gosh. Uh, but, because, <laughs> but because of that, because of the open tire formula, these are, these are the fastest non-hybrid sports cars in active competition. They're capable of going faster around Fuji Speedway than the Lama hypercars in similar conditions. Now, they have control tires for Michelin, of course, and they have, and a lot of them, the good ones, have their hybrid systems. But these can match up with any of the LMDHs. They can match up with any of the Le Mans hypercars. They're that quick, and they're driven by some of the best of the best drivers. And then you get to GT300, which is its own kettle of fish with three different regulations rolled into one class, and they all somehow work through a mixture of balance of performance uh it somehow works it's it, it is it is fascinating but yes it somehow works you have the uh stable of sports car racing i have said especially in custom racing the fia gt3 cars which make up the majority uh, of the field we're talking yeah about you Nissan. see these all the time yeah, yeah. We, we talk about nissan gtrs okay you're not seeing those all the time anymore we're talking about honda nsx we're talking about mercedes amg we're talking about that new bmw m4 m6 i, I always get confused with those the, the big ship m4 the big ship <laughs> and um <laughs> And then you have the GTA GT300 cars. Now, those are pretty much originally constructed cars. Um, not that cheap in production, but very, very exciting to watch. We're talking about a GT300 version of the Toyota GR Supra. We're talking about the GT300 version of the, of the new Toyota GR86. And this year because we had to say bye-bye to the fastest prius in the world unfortunately but we still get our hybrid powered racing car with the new lexus lc 500 h the big newcomer by apr and uh a very fascinating looking car i'm personally i like it i like how it looks i know some people have different yeah, opinions but i like how it looks in its, in its proportions, mm. let's say but you know, this is essentially the successor. The predecessor is quick. It solves a lot of headaches that they have with the old Prius. And I want to show you just a picture of uh, Dre. I've shown you a picture yes. from uh, Takeshi Tsuchiya. This is how much they actually keep of the uh, the old mainframe of the production cars. Because, yes, you have to build it around the cabin of the road car that it's based upon. Sure. But there ain't much of it left. <laughs> No, that, that that thing has been stripped bare. It's like it's 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 its whole ass is on display. Um, that, yeah, that, they're they're a, also putting it back together actively because they had a crash in the final preseason test. Oh, yes, a big one, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, but but the beautiful thing is, teams immediately came to them 
and was like, hey, where can we help? Where can we pitch? And it is not the first time they unfortunately That's had nice. a crash. And uh, there are teams like there are APR and other like organizations. They come to them. They're like, okay, let me help you out with this. It's like it's a, it. it's it's a, it's. I mean, I I called the Super GT paddock like a big family, a, a, a family that is competing against each other, but still has yeah. like this family atmosphere. And I said that, and I told that Masaki Bando, and he pretty much laughed and was like, "You should come here at a championship weekend." But you know what? I saw the backstage footage. I still stand by my opinion that it still feels like a big, big family. Um, <laughs> maybe a bit more in GT three hundred than in GT five hundred, where it's a bit more still like you know they are still sitting to together have like cracking jokes and whatnot but of course nobody is sharing their like secrets and everything uh makes sense uh but but still i i still stand by that it's like a big family and can i also say as well and i hate to be uh thing versus thing japan thing japan better guy <laughs> uh but it is also refreshing to follow a sports car championship where you don't have constant balance of performance grumblings being a persistent storyline in the racing like yes there are teams that will say like our bop is not so great or what have you but it's never to like the point where it feels like it's just constant sniping like it is an imsa the world endurance championship and you also don't have grumbling about plastic silvers because they don't use the metal system. They just, they're in GT300 especially, they're just like, okay, just pick whatever drivers you want. It's an all pro category in that regard. And there's very few of those left in, in GT3 based racing. Um, and it works. It works splendidly. I mean, if you want to compete, you have to uh, pass a rookie test and then you're good to go you need a racing license you'd have to pass the rookie test and then you're good to go so as i just said it's a pretty much pro category also in gd300 but you still have some amateur drivers left uh, maybe there were former champions that were that were racing in the 90s and are now considered amateur because of their age or like gentlemen drivers rather yeah, right. um, but but still it it works and both gt500 and gt300 are highly competitive and you can never tell uh ahead of a race weekend to be like oh yeah this team is going to win even after qualifying you cannot say for sure oh, this team is going to win because the races are so unpredictable uh yeah. not just because of the tires and everything also because of the racing action i mean multi-class racing can produce the wildest things obviously but you have so many like side by side door to door like close fights it's it's, it's just a, it's it's a beauty to watch and we should mention the um the uh, balance of performance of those GTA GT300 cars, which includes the the third car concept, we should mention that is the mother chassis. That's like an old idea to basically use the GTA GT300, which was formerly called the JF GT300 um, concept, by giving them a, um, a, a like a, a common chassis. Or, yeah. or like a, like a standardized chassis, and then you can pretty much within the regulations build your own parts around it. Uh, there's only one car left. That's a Toyota 86 as well. Uh, Team Mark is using them. Uh, you will immediately spot it because it had that beautiful speed racer inspired um livery on it um and um there might be a next generation mother chassis in the near future it's like something they have in development for quite some time but it's due to the pandemic and other things development hell. yeah and development hell it pretty much 
lost some of its priority status, but I think it's coming in the near future. I'm pretty sure. But yeah, you have those three um, car concept fighting together, and the SRO actually is making a Japan specific balance of performance for the gt3 based cars so oh, they're not wow. using the same balance of performance that they're using in the gt world endurance championship in europe for example no it's a japan specific balance of performance that um has influences on the track characteristics on the air in japan on the fuel that is being used on the oil that is being used and um this is definitely the way to go they tried to do their own bop first the gta didn't quite work out so well so they worked together with the sro the sro used their bop that they're using in other categories and then realized okay we need to do something exclusive for japan and i think ever since we have a very, very interesting battle between those car concepts. You have like these a bit heavier, but more powerful GT3 cars and the more like light weighted, but more nimble GTA GT300 cars. And it's a, it's, it's, it's a very interesting balance between those two. And I think when we talk about GT300 cars, we of course cannot forget the beautiful, beautiful Subaru BRZ, which won the championship, by the way, in 2021. Another car you can play in Gran Turismo Seven is that uh, BR set. Yes, oh, yeah. and I recommend it. Oh, it's 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 such a beautiful car, in my opinion. And while I'm and while I'm on the subject as well, just like if you're new to Super GT, yes, they have success ballast. They pay out weight in kilograms and sometimes fuel flow limitations based on your results. I know people will say that this is tawdry sports entertainment bullshit, but. Every team and driver understands the terms of engagement, and I still find it less artificial than some other series attempts to interject sports entertainment into their own respective championships. <laughs> Boy, Gosh, I wonder later. what you mean with that. <laughs> Subtle as a sledgehammer, O'Connell, as ever. <laughs> but yeah, the, the success weight in the GT500 class is basically your championship points multiplied by two and in gt300 it's even multiplied by three and the maximum is 100 100 kilograms and to make things a bit more complicated in gt500 only um if you reach a certain weight or success weight threshold then um you get a fuel flow meter uh into the car so there's like your engine produces a bit less power it's like a whole like graph of this, but it's basically just like a combination of like weight and then above a certain weight, they're just like, okay, we'll give you a little less weight, but then we're going to start taking away some of your fuel burn and less fuel burn means less horsepower. And that's and always very interesting. Yeah, and depending on the track, this might hurt you a bit more. So why you do want to get the most points possible um depending on what's coming next you might actually don't want to have a, a very harsh success weight depending on the track so for example when you come to sugo you uh, definitely don't want to struggle with your uh fuel burn for example and you see and, and you notice this throughout the season how the uh, the power balance between the teams shifts, and it doesn't necessarily mean that the team that was struggling in the first three races cannot fight for the championship by the end of the season, because it's a bit like a comeback mechanic. They can actually get enough points to be in the position to fight for the championship come the final round, thanks to that success weight system. And the, the GTA is very upfront with this. They are saying, yes, we don't want one team 
and it happened in the past. Uh, greetings to Team Go with their McLaren that they were using in 1996. Um, it, it, they don't want one team to dominate the series and win every race because they think that's boring for everyone to watch. <laughs> so they introduced this success weight system um, a, a bit later. And I, I think it works. And as RJ said, you you know the rules. You you pretty much, when you sign a contract to drive in a series, you know what's going on. Um, and I think it helps to produce a great racing action. And... Um, when the final round comes, you have multiple teams to fight for the championship, and usually it's the team that was the most consistent to actually also win the title. So it's not like a team that was just because of the success weight getting like a few good results at the end of the season suddenly winning the championship. No, that's that's not happening. You You still have to be consistent. I like it. But yeah, Team Impulse, Blue Nissan Z, won their first title in 27 years, since 1995, the last time they won the big one. Bertrand Baguette, who many of us know, probably know as the other guy that almost won the Indianapolis 500 in 2011, went out there and finally won the big one uh, after sacrificing lots and lots of time away from his family because, of course, he's a Belgian driver. Uh, he actually had to get like special dispensation to come to Japan during the first wave of the pandemic in 2020 and he comes away with this championship in his first year with Nissan and Kazuki Hiromine 10 years ago, he was burned out of racing. He got dropped by Honda. He was working as a line cook. He was working as a postman. And all of a sudden he's a Nissan factory driver and a GT 500 champion. He's one of the best stories in racing. One That's of the incredible, <laughs> but can they do it again? Can Nissan do it again with the new Nissan Z? I want to know. It will be tough. Um, I, I come to think of it, I think in the last 10, 10 or 15 years at least, we didn't have a GT500 team win the championship twice in a row. I'm actually thinking, did this ever happen before? Matsuda and Quinarelli, 2014. Ah, uh, yes. How could I forget? <laughs> How yeah. could I forget? Yes. The, the, of the combination of the drivers won more races than any other, and the driver that's won more championships than any other. And also now both in their mid 40s. So, you know, every year, because like big retirement tours are not a thing for a lot of Japanese drivers, like this season could always be their last. You never know. Yeah. Suddenly they announce over the winter. By the way, that's it. I'm out. And they maybe get like a retirement or as they call it in Japan, graduation ceremony. Um, and uh, that happened for Juichi Wakisaka, for example, a three-time GT500 champion. Got the nickname Mr. GT uh, because during his prime, he was incredible. And I mean, he, he's a character like on and off the track. And uh, it was incredible. But yeah, over the winter, like in secret, they decided, okay, that's it. I'm not doing another season. And then at the Toyota presentation of their roster and everything, they gave him a flower bouquet and he said, that's it. I'm graduating from uh, motorsport or rather as an active driver in the top tier categories. And I will be actually a team director now. 
imagine if Sebastian Vettel just did that, just finished it out his last season in Aston Martin. And when they do the car launch, Vettel is just like, oh, by the way, I'm not racing anymore. Here's Fernando Alonso to take my place. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, I, 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 that, you could never think about that happening. I mean, Vettel even went the extra mile and created an Instagram account, which is like the most unvettel thing you can think of. Yeah, I want to say like the last driver from Japan that had like a big retirement tour was, of course, the legendary Konamitsu Takahashi, who last lost around this time last year, retired in 1999 at a big year-long retirement tour. But that's that's not normal. Like when somebody of that high profile steps away, it's usually just like, okay, and I'm done driving. Enjoy next season. Yeah. <laughs> that is wild. That is wild. Also, my idea of torture would be Sebastian Vettel announcing Fernando Alonso taking his seat and then Aston Martin being good. Thanks for the war crimes there, RJ. <laughs> <laughs> Look, look, we got to have a little bit of banter, uh, even with a guest around. Of course. I'm enjoying it. I love me some banter. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I know we got a little bit long, but there are some other interesting things that happened this offseason. Uh, there is a merger between teams in GT500. ARTA and Team Mugen came together. And it's just like, hey, instead of being two single-car teams, we want to just be a two-car team. Uh, ARTA is the team name. Mugen's running trackside operations. Bridgestone supplying tires to both. That was big. Uh, we talked about Ukio Sasahara going from Honda to Toyota. He takes Sasha Fenestras' spot at Tums, and Kakanoshi Nota is moving up from GT300 to GT500 with Toyota. Uh, excuse me, with Honda. We were supposed to have another driver's mate to step up to GT300, Kyoto Fujinami, but what we will only term as behavioral issues, uh, that kept mm -hmm. him stepping up with Nissan this year, and he will be a reserve driver. So basically a pit wall armament. The basic story is he had a, to just keep it a long story short. Uh, he runs his own team in a grassroots series. Him and another member of the team got into an altercation. That happened right as he was testing a GT500 car. He's already apologized. Nissan's already said their piece. They're willing to move on. But it's just like, that's just weird. That is very weird. It's like, <laughs> like I, yes, like prolific athletes have had scandals happen in the off season, but it's just like, you never expect this to like happen. We're just like, Hey, what are your two time and defending series champions? Got <laughs> into an altercation within his own team. It's just inter yeah. internal beef. Like, like what's going on there? Holy shit. Um, yeah. The thing is, the thing is in Japan, um, a scandal no matter what scandal um, can kill off a career, no matter in what career path you're taking. And um, we don't know the full details. I mean, we know rumors, and we know where the rumors are coming from, um, but Fujinami did apologize, which I guess pretty much confirms that at least a big portion of those rumors are true. And it's a genuine apology. If you read yeah. that, it doesn't read like an apology like by, like, by like some dude so. going into a forest with a camera. Like, uh, it, it definitely didn't sound <laughs> like wow. that. Like, like, I, I, I regret to inform you that that dude can still bump. Yeah. I still, I'll still wanted Seth Rollins to stomp the shit out of him, by the way. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it doesn't read like an apology. Is like, I, I'm, so, I'm like, sorry if you were offended. Sorry, you're yeah, offended. sorry to everyone I offended. No, he actually said, look, uh, I fucked up. And I'm a victim of the Los Angeles Dodgers cancel culture, and that's why I'm taking my talent <laughs> to go to the Comic Stadium. 
<laughs> RJ, you're a very bad man. Stop that. Stop that. Back in the corner, RJ. Enough. But, but, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, obviously he said, was, yeah. Yeah, and he said he's, he's working on himself, that something like that never happens again. And uh, Nissan accepted that, and now he has a reserve driver role in GT300. Not in GT500, but GT300. But I don't know what would happen if one of their GT500 drivers suddenly couldn't make it to one race if he would still get the chance. I don't know. They specifically mentioned 300. Um, I, I don't know. But the the driver who profited from that, uh, pretty much Koei Hirate, which would have gotten that reserve driver role, he will stay with Konto Racing. Um, which is, by the way, if you know your Japanese pop culture, yes, that is the team by team owner Masahiko Kondo, or Machi Kondo, as he's also called. Now independent, um, not with Johnny's anymore, that yeah. mega agency. Still still a pop singer, former race car driver, former uh, competitor at the 24 Hours at Le Mans. Um, and he has his own team, and uh, he's active in GT500 and GT300, one the GT300 championship uh, two times in the last three years. Two times in the last three years. So they've still yeah. got JP Oliveira on board. And the benefactor, now that Fujinami has graduated out of that seat, uh, Tepe Natori, who you might remember, had a cup of coffee in Formula 3 that was not representative of his true talents. Like He had a terrible time out in Europe. But he did come through the Honda system. He was runner-up in the 2018 Formula 4 Japanese championship. The guy finished behind... Uh, some sort statured fella uh, who now drives for a clothing line. Uh, you may have heard of him, Yuki Sonoda. Notori is that good, but after things kind of fell apart with Honda, he's now changed allegiances to Nissan, and he's probably now the next in line to succeed any one of Nissan's uh, old guard, should they decide to step away. And GT300 is a good grid. You know, if you got Bruno Spengler, a DTM champion, and Roberto Mary, who's done his time in F1, choosing to hang their hat in that series, that's a pretty solid endorsement. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. It is. You have some very high-profile drivers. And uh, Bruno Spengler, uh, he's joining uh, the BMW team of Team Studie, uh, the Yokohama-based team um, Bayasuaki Suzuki or Bob Suzuki, that's his nickname, a huge BMW fanatic. That's a, a studio or study, as some people call it, um, is a BMW tuner. And uh, he wants to do motorsport. He loves everything BMW. He wants to do motorsport. And uh, they're running the M4. And now they have a BMW works driver. Uh, with them again, with uh, Seiji Ara being the other driver. And Masataka Yanagida, the uh, former... GT500 and GT300 champion won it twice in both categories. Uh, also associated with Nissan, uh, he also joined the team as the third driver. So very, very excited for that trio. Um, two drivers usually in one race, but for the endurance rounds or semi-endurance rounds, uh, there will be a third driver that the teams in GT300 usually use. And you don't have to use them. No, uh, you don't have by to. By the way, there's no like minimum drive time. It's like a maximum two thirds of the race. But if you register three drivers, you can just decide like after practice, like, okay, we just need to roll our two best. 
which happened in the past, which happened in the past when the team suddenly saw, uh, you know what, uh, we're doing pretty good at a race. We might actually win. Uh, sorry, we know you want to gain the experience, but we will stay with our two stable drivers. You still get to celebrate. You still get to yes, celebrate. you still get up to the podium and be like, yeah, I won. <laughs> <laughs> but I won. hey, okay, we're joking about this, but even as a third driver, you do contribute to the team. I mean, in practice, you're collecting valuable data, you have your input, you do the testing and everything. Thing. So it's not like you're not doing anything for the team just because you didn't participate in the race. But I like that. Um, there's also some other interesting characters. Like we got esports winners in the field. Igor Fraga, who might be the first, well, retroactively the first uh, Gran Turismo character uh, to to actually <laughs> race for real in Super GT, um, as well as Yusuke Tomobayashi, who had success in Gran Turismo World Series events that predate when it was a world championship, but they're both in the series. Fraga's a rookie coming back to real-world racing for the first time since his F3 uh, one-and-done season, and Tomobayashi is in his second season. We also have Miki Koyama, a W Series alum and Formula Regional Japanese champion. Oh, yes. The Will very the first woman to win a mixed FIA FIA single seater junior series, uh, the championship, we should mention. Yes. Koyama will be the first woman to race in the series in 11 years, um, and she'll be a third driver with the new Anestiwata Racing with Arnaj as one of Fraga's teammates. Yes, she will join the team of uh, Fraga and Yuga Furutani for the endurance rounds. Very, very excited. First woman, as you mentioned, since Cindy Alemann. Um, from Switzerland to finally race in the series. I'm so glad that we finally have a woman in the series. It's it's about time. And I hope that she can be a trailblazer to open the grid for more female races in the series. There are a couple, um, or, or rather a lot, who are competing in the junior categories. There is a all-female series with the Kojo Cup, which, by the way, she won twice in a row. Um, so... There's definitely like young girls, young women um, who would have to tell them to step up, and I hope she can be a trailblazer for them. Absolutely, without doubt. Especially after watching GT World Challenge America, where Ashton Harrison, with ice in her veins, stealing a class win on the final lap at Sonoma, it, it makes me hopeful that there will be more on the way. But you know. That I that overtoke was beautiful, by the way. I Sorry saw to that. get too much in it. Sorry to get too off topic, but I just like I had to put that in there. And you know, I love Super GT. Gen Z loves Super GT as well. I don't even want to go through the process of trying to predict a champion out of this series. I just want to see how it all unfolds and hopefully tell eight wonderful stories that come together in a one epic novel. Definitely, definitely. And I think we mentioned it uh, at the early portion of this segment. It is so hard to predict. And I mean, we could talk about like in testing how Honda seems the strongest with Nissan being the number two, but then and, and Toyota apparently struggling and but suddenly being strong in the wet again, which was a surprise because their wet tire wasn't as good as Michelin's innovative lateral groove tire, uh, which they introduced we're last having, year. We're tire pattern wars and shit going on. It's wild. 
Yeah, Dre. Last year, the Sugo race was uh, the first wet race since 2019. Uh, it was raining cats and dogs. I had the honor to commentate that race. It was a lot of fun. And uh, the two Michelin teams, the both Nismo cars, uh, they were just dominating that race because Michelin has a new lateral groove wet tire, which mm. just blew out the competition. And now, and now Bridgestone and Yokohama and Dunlop, they brought their own versions of that tire. And we had a wet weather test at Fuji um, two weeks ago. Um, and uh, suddenly that advantage that Michelin had might actually be gone. But then a, a tire might work in full wet conditions, but when it's damp, then another tire might be better. And you can only register one wet tire specification. So it's it's so hard to predict. <laughs> but that's, that's why I love this. Like, yes. you never know who is going to win. Like, yes, there are some teams that are just like, very happy to be there. You know, if they finish in the points or even just finish every race, it's as big as a victory for them. But for the most part, uh, it is competitive up and down the grid. I love it. I think it's worth committing crimes against your sleep schedule to go out of your way and watch it. I think it is worth potentially paying a few bucks a month to go out of your way to watch it. Um, Likely by the time you'll hear this, you will know that this will be on motorsport.tv once again for another season. Um, I stand by it. I stand by Super Formula as well. I think you should go out and watch all the Supers. Stay up late. Get up early if you have to. This is good racing. And I think you will be richly rewarded if you take the time to do it. And hey, if you're not a big fan of just like watching it live, um, both the series upload their races later on so you could catch up later indeed well, sounds like a great plan should, should, should we wrap this up should I, should yeah. I, should I? Yeah. Do, do, do the outro thing i'll do the outro thing um huge thanks once again to jens for for coming in and, and talking i mean i i was just sitting back soaking this in like um like like a, like a true king and it was um magnificent stuff so thank you very much jens for joining us um brilliant as ever again you, know, you can follow him at genu um g-e-i-n-o-u on twitter please do give him a motorsport 101 bump from us um so huge thanks to him for that um thanks rj O'Connor. remember this was his idea so send rj some love as well because i mean this wouldn't happen without him he's been a, a fantastic ambassador for japanese motorsport um for years now and i'm delighted that we can represent that on this platform I don't a little bit gens though no so like we work together like we've been confused for one another like legit it's a funny story yes. that we can get into yes. after it, the podcast but <laughs> that actually happened for one another <laughs> brilliant stuff as ever gentlemen thank you very much for joining us um places you can find us one more time are on twitter at motorsport underscore 101 um our personal handles at dre underscore wtf1 and rj o'connell as well can we be back in literally next episode to talk some formula one in australia because nothing of note happened in that one um oh. so, but uh, nothing at all. But uh, um, yeah, all of that is great. Again, please check out motorsport.tv as well for all your Super GT coverage, hopefully over the course of the year. And of course, like I said, follow Jens on Twitter at Genu. Please follow him. He's a, he's, a, he's a fantastic and a delightful person to be around as well. So do follow everybody involved. I've been Dre Harrison and I and I have I've sat back and let these gentlemen cook for the last 100, 101 minutes. Great number, if I do say so myself. And it's been a great time. So again, please check out Super GT and Super Form if you get some time over the course of this summer. 
I'm Andre Harrison. They have been RJ and Jens. Until next time, thank you very much for listening. Sayonara. Oh, yeah, sleeping SI, y'all.